Welcome to Teachings in the Air. air, air. Welcome to Teachings in the Air podcast with Jerry Oldman. Coming to you from Hunkaminam Territory with a podcast series about indigenous men's health and wellness. We aim to inspire, motivate, and empower indigenous men to be sound in mind, body, and spirit because that's what health means. Hello, this is Teachings in the Air with Jerry Oldman. I'm in Brandon, Manitoba the homeland of the Dakota, Anishinaabe, Cree, and Métis peoples. Geographically, we're almost dead center to the continent of North America. Today's podcast is called 24-7, and I called it 24-7, because Jerry suffers at times, not all the time, because I'm on the healing road, this um, what I call post-colonial stress disorder. That at times I get negative about myself, I get negative about other people. And I believe that our ancestors done their best to stay on the high road. My goal in this podcast is to bring a light to listeners about how the negative, harmful habits of those colonizers manifest themselves in our lives in a detrimental way to ourselves as individuals and for our families and our communities and also for all the inhabitants of Mother Earth. With understanding, we can become committed to a 24-7 indigenous way of life. So to, as I always do, to bring background, and you'll hear me saying things sometimes are over and over (laughs) again, but I'd learned from my elders, because they would tell us stories, and I'd say, I heard that one already. And they'd say, well, just because you're saying that doesn't mean you really heard it. So they would tell us again. So the background for this podcast is how there was a message let loose in this country that we're inferior beings. And that went hand in hand, that message with the assimilation policies that were put place in this country in regards to us, that they were saying things, we're going to assimilate those people so we will not have an Indian problem. The goal of the assimilation was to get rid of that Indian problem, which is us, to absorb us into the Canadian way or some people call it their Euro-Judeo-Christian way. Although this was stated, that they were going to assimilate us, and that they were going to get rid of the Indian problem, the assimilation policies were actually a lie, because assimilation means to become part of. And we were, in fact, segregated. We were put onto reservations, lands reserved for Indians. That's not assimilation. 
reservations were actually minimum security prison camps at the very beginning. If there was assimilation, we would have been equals. We would have had equal opportunity in economics, in education, everything. So it was not assimilation. This, the settlers, the immigrants, and the refugees that come to this great land had opportunity. And they came here for that. That's why they come to this beautiful land. And I believe they themselves did not know and understand that there were two levels of justice in this country. That the indigenous people were left on the outside looking in from our small reserves to this. I heard a chief say, they're having a big feast and we're getting the crumbs from the table. So what happened? Here's what happened. The motivation was greed for the precious metals in the earth. Gold, silver, and it's moved on today to copper, to uranium, all of those metals. And the people that done this, that had this love of power in them, and they were greedy, devised these plans in other parts of the world of how to take over and conquer a people with small numbers, small armies. And part of that was to divide and conquer. That's why at times when I, I hear my own self-talk, and I have this post-colonial stress disorder when I start to be negative with my own people because they believe different than I do. And I'll say, I don't want to do that anymore because we need each other. We cannot afford to be in little camps. We need to unite somehow because as long as we stay divided, we're like we're conquered. So there was a theft. They stole, they took, they betrayed their word that we were going to be okay. And you think of all the resources that come out of this land already to date. I imagine we'd have a hard time to estimate the dollar value of it and the benefits that our newcomers received from that. You know, and while a lot of our people are poor, a lot of our children are hungry. Part of that betrayal and that plan was to start to shame us, to start that feeling of being ashamed of ourselves and ashamed of our ways and our people. And that, that was serious. Those were serious efforts put into that with the words of devil worshiper, pagan, heathen, savage, stupid, all of those things you've heard me say before. So when we absorb that and internalize that, we have post-colonial stress disorder. We have nothing to be ashamed of. We come from beautiful people that lived here for thousands upon thousands of years. As a result of this assimilation plan, it wasn't really some assimilation, it was more apartheid. Many of the people became poor, poverty-stricken. If you don't have the hope for a job tomorrow morning, Life is not so good for you. If you're having a hard time to feed your family or put shoes on their feet, life 
is not so promising. And uh, we know the results of that today. Addictions. You know, that some people are addicted. Part of my post-colonial stress disorder was where I had fallen into the trap of generalization. And I started to realize when people talk about drunk Indians, I say, no, it's not true. My own community at one time had 75% sobriety after 10 years of an addiction program. We must not fall into this trap of this tunnel vision. We have many people today that are leading a, you know, a life. An education, got a job. Maybe they drink, maybe they, you know, they do things that are addictive, but they're still functionable. And that's what I see today. And of course we know why the addictions are there. It's because of trauma or wounding, that when we have historical wounding of a people, an individual wounding, of course we're going to go to addictions and negative behavior. And that's what I call the post-colonial stress disorder. You know that I had a hard time in my mind to accept that there were individuals that had genocide in their mind in North America. When I first heard that, I say, no, no, it can't be. Who would want to kill men, women, children, and elders? I looked up the word genocide, and geno is a Greek word that means tribal, and side is a Latin word that means killer. There were attempts to kill us to kill us all with the smallpox blankets that I'd heard of as a child. Elders told me stories of large amounts of our people dying from smallpox. But they didn't tell me where it come from other than it was in the air and the people caught it and it was killing them. And when I learned as a young adult that it was genocide, that's when I was saying, I, I can't believe this. How can this be true? Who would want to do this? Records show today that up to 85% of indigenous populations were killed just by disease only. You know, so I... You know, I accepted that there are evil people, usually a small number of people, that think these kind of thoughts, and that I must not fall into that victimhood of that, because part of the post-colonial stress disorder is to be angry all the time, to be afraid, to be depressed. And I've made up my mind, I don't want this disorder. I want to be me, I want to be who I am. I want to be free. Part of freedom is not to have any fear, not to be afraid to go into public, not to be afraid to go to post-secondary school or to anywhere in this country. They had a, you know, our country, or Canada, they do commissions. They hire people to study. And we've had one recently in Canada called uh, TRC, 
Truth-Telling and Reconciliation Commission. And they come up with this. They recognized that there was cultural genocide in Canada and it had a huge impact on us. And that the cultural genocide, first off, was to destroy the languages because our philosophies were in the language. Our way of living was in the language. I remember my granny saying, She's telling me, don't you dare think you're better than others. I'm so glad I heard those words. And I know that many do not hear those words of my people. That is not part of our living today. It was part of my living when I was young. So that simple erase, eraser of those, those words, that language, have been replaced by negative talk, self-talk, and talking to each other. And that's part of the disorder. So, you know that cultural genocide of outlawing our spiritual practices like the sun dance, the sweat lodge, the potlatch. There even they even added on there that our people could not use their regalia in public, which means decorated headbands or headgear, jackets, you know, moccasins. All of those beautiful things we've all seen in photos and sometimes we're blessed enough to see it in ceremony. That was outlawed. So if we ever feel shame about our ways we're suffering from post-colonial stress disorder. And that comes from the cultural genocide, that shaming of our ways and our people. You know, that wish to control every aspect of our life has caused harm, has caused a disorder where we turn on each other and we beat ourselves up. It became against the law for our people to practice our governance our governance ways that were spiritually guided so that there was fairness and there was commitment to people and land in that system. Because you've heard me say before, if you listen to the podcasts, that when we're here by ourselves, that there was nothing going extinct. And now I was recently heard of the numbers of thing, plants and animals and insects that are going, and water life that are going extinct, and it's frightening. So what come out of this genocide and cultural genocide? It, what come out of this was an unjust social order in this country. And we became living a life of poverty. And some, and I must remind myself, this is what I said, don't generalize, Jerry. That's part of the disorder. Some of our people fell into addictions, violence, and suffer with that feeling of a loss of identity. And we must not blame them. Because now, today, with this podcast 24-7, it's about us 
in some ways going home or some ways developing a new identity that includes our ways as individuals and families and communities. Uh, characteristics of this post-colonial stress disorder and remember characteristic comes from the word character which means a sharp etched line so our minds our body and spirit have been etched with lines of where we at times slip into this disorder the loss of language affected our identity today. Some people, when you ask, well, which nation are you from? They sort of struggle around that because they don't speak the language. And I know that feeling because I've been there. We, and today, even in English, many don't know the meaning of the words that they're using with each other. So this loss of language is in English and in our language. And we don't know the true meaning of words and we're speaking to each other. There's a loss there. There's miscommunication. <laughs> miscommunication. In our way, Listening was considered a high form of respect. I tell people today, our people were noisy listeners. Because they'd let you know when you're speaking that they're listening by going, aha, or aha, or oh. I hear my elders when I'm speaking to them, they're noisy listeners. And I knew that if they became silent, that I'm not saying the right, I'm not in tune with them. They'd stop listening. So, you know what is going on today as part of this post colonial stress disorder is that some are have lost respect for themselves and each other, and it shows by not listening to one another, and the results are broken relationships, damaged relationships. We turn on each other, some of us. We carry grudges, and some of them are now gener intergenerational. Many times a family member will not even know the reason why we have, we're against that family in our communities. So that comes from people tampering with our ways, shaming our ways. When that happens, we fall into victimhood, and that's a characteristic of the post-colonial stress disorder. When people are traumatized and they don't receive healing or treatment, I've learned that either, like I was like that, I became angry, fearful, depressed. And as long as that was ruling my life, I was in effect dysfunctional. I couldn't function properly. Because um, it's a self-centered life, like say when you're depressed. You're not being helpful to your family unit. Because in a sense you give up in that. I gave up in depression. You know, and I was a victim. My life was hateful to me. And in effect, they owned me. It worked. They owned me. And who's the they? The 
that's part of the generalization talk when I say they or them, you know, the ones that owned me are the ones that set out the plans to divide and conquer. Their plan was working. It was effective. Another part of this disorder is the addictions. There are two types, as I've said before, process and substance. You know the addictions are a waste of time and they're very harmful. Not only to the addict, but to the family and community as well. But we know today that people, if they don't feel good, they look for ways to feel good. And it's so unfortunate we turn to the European culture of feeling good by using alcohol. Because the Europeans have been doing that for thousands and thousands of years. And us, it's new to us. So, addictions is part of this disorder. It's, uh, we started to speak like the ones that let this loose. The colonial governments and the succeeding governments. We started to speak like them, dress like them, you know, eat the food they were eating. We started to do all of these things and slowly left our ways behind. And that's when the assimilation, part of this assimilation was working. We were leaving our way because assimilation means to slowly be brought into a system. Even though we were segregated, part of the assimilation plan was working. because we were leaving our ways behind because our ways were outlawed. And I think of the shame that our men feel today about providing for the family. Because our original way was that we're hunter-gatherers. The men would go out in all kinds of weather to get the protein, the moose, the elk, the deer, the beaver, all of the foods we ate. Then when we're put in a reserve, they say you can hunt on a reserve, but you need a permit to hunt off the reserve. And it started to, they started to jail or some of our men for hunting and for fishing. Our men started to feel shame because they're not provider hunter-gatherers anymore. So when that happens, that part of the disorder, we start to withdraw and become self-centered and uh, just focused on ourselves in a negative way. So we're withdrawing from participating in family and community. And we're seeing that today. It seemed to become fashionable to leave our way of life behind by some, to be ashamed of the actions and words of our own ways. And this happened for some, I know, because it happened to Jerry for a bit there. I had that post-colonial stress disorder in a bad way because I go through depression, resentment, anger, at a point in my life, I had this loss of energy. I didn't want, didn't feel like I could do anything. I had shame. I avoided people. I avoided activities. I became a complainer. 
I was inconsistent, unreliable, as making excuses, very good at making excuses why I should not do this positive thing. I was unreliable. I was living a life and I did not know it where my future was decided by others. And who are these others? The ones that developed this brilliant plan to divide and conquer and to say that we're inferior. Those were the ones. And I today believe that there are very few of them. You know, and I say that with all, with good intentions. Because uh, our neighbors, a lot of them feel this too. This post-colonial stress disorder, it's not only on us. Yes. So that is uh, where we are. Now I'm going to talk about returning to our way of life. The 24-7 road, I call it. You know, we can start to discipline ourselves, educate ourselves to learn the ways of our ancestors and carry some of those principles in our daily life 24-7. I have now been part of a process of healing and change since 1976, maybe 1975. And the biggest help for me has been assimilating myself back into indigenous way. You know that when I would all of a sudden feel to the point of tears and I would be weeping because I'm letting go through ceremony was a wonderful time for me, and I'd finish, and I'd feel like I'm floating, and the stress would be off my shoulders and my mind, because I had dealt with hate in my system through ceremony. You know, as long as I carried hate, I had that disorder, because people would look in my eyes, what do they see but anger? You don't see that anger in my eyes today when you look. I get upset, sure, there's anger that comes to me. But I'm learning to put it down through a ceremony, lighting medicine, singing a song, going to the lodge, dancing, singing. And I think about my resistance to Canada. I wanted to be a good resistance. At the beginning, it was um, a resistance without a plan. Like, I'd want to go out and blockade, and I did. I'd break the law and go fishing and dare them to arrest me. You know, no, yeah, I'm going to fish. Sockeye in in the Fraser River, and you told me not to. Come on. I would challenge them. And it was a resistance about our rights to fish. So I started to break that disorder by doing that. And as I aged, I started to do it the way of our people in a respectful manner. That the dominant system One of my elders told me they're like children. You leave children alone in a room or in a house all by themselves, and when you come back, there's going to be probably be a mess. They'll be chasing each other, breaking things, you know, doing stuff without thought. And he says that's what's happening in Canada today. It's like children are ruling the land. So, 
you know, that benefit from me going back to our ways to heal myself. That led me to this place of living with purpose, walking with purpose and intention, of doing something good for myself and for my family and for the people and for the land. I became, I started to become a compassionate human. And compassionate means that you're a willing participant when other people are suffering, when you put yourself in that place. There are some people that suffer, I know that I'm not for them. I, I started to recognize that too. That someone else needs to help this person. But that I will pray for them in my way. That I will send energy. I have accepted I have compassion today. And that's a benefit of 24-7 of our way. I believe my dad's generation, my grandfather, great-grandfather, and everybody else behind them lived on a high road 24-7. I tell people today, you know, I never heard them swear. I had to hear my dad sometimes. He'd say something, but it's not about people or anything. It's about something he'd done. He made a mistake. Oh, he'd say, and he'd say that word, <laughs> you know. But I never see him use it against people. His dad's line, I never even hear them use those words. Or my great-grandfather. Or my granny. And I'm talking about, um, you know, what they call foul language or swear words. You know? <laughs> and it's... Uh, we then, we've lost even the ability to see that words can be harmful. And that to be 24-7, we have to be careful and sincere with our words for speaking to other human beings. And that's why I believe that when someone talks to us, then we're silent. Some of us may not know why that is. Because I talk to non-Indigenous people, and I say, when you ask a question to an Indigenous person, count to 15 silently in your mind. And you, that way you'll give them a chance to respond because they've been, in their DNA they're wanting to be respectful in their response. I believe that. I believe that was 24-7 for people. Careful and sincere with your words when you're speaking to another human being. And especially to the younger generations. Now is a time to return to what we truly are as a people. Now is the time to our cultural identity. Culture means a way of life. To return to that, to go back to the ways of our people that looked after them for thousands of years. To honor and embrace our ancestors and their ways that enabled us to be strong in mind, body, and spirit. And that's the way it was for countless generations. And I would hear, you know, at times, about these generations, you know, of our way of life, and how it would develop us as people. You know, and we go back to that way, being strong in mind, body, and spirit, and recognize when we need help in either of those areas. Again, you know, we will be healthy. I remember I heard these scientists talking about indigenous people and they were saying they could not find degenerative diseases in the indigenous peoples of the past before contact, which means cancer, diabetes, you know, heart conditions, because that's degenerative when our vessels to our heart start to degenerate and then we're going to get a heart attack. 
You know, when we live a 24-7 way of life, we start to prevent diseases that are preventable. Then we start to live what they call a sustainable way of life, which means it's going to be the same day after day. When you see Jerry, he's going to be positive, he's going to be helpful, he's going to be compassionate. If I'm living 24-7, steadily am I. You know, when we do that, it's a guarantee for the ones coming behind us that their life can be purposeful and meaningful. If we leave anger, fear, and depression for the ones coming behind us, that's what you're going to have. So here are the things that I tell myself to remember today. That it's not our way to steal, especially from our own. You know, I know we used to go and raid in parties between nations. <laughs> you know, that's a way of life. We'd go steal from each other and things, you know. And, uh, but from each other, no, especially relatives. It's also not our way to carry toxic anger. Toxic means poisonous that it can kill. It's not our way to carry that around. To be greedy and selfish. Just remember, you know, when, uh, when people would teach you how to do something, they say you have to give away the first of everything. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's not our way to abuse our bodies. You know, to hurt our bodies. To intentionally hurt our bodies, you know, with toxic foods and substances. It's, you know, it's not our way to show disrespect to others that are different. You know, it's not our way. Sure, some people are tall, some people are short, some people are thin, you know. It's not our way to disrespect people that are different from what they call the mean or the, what people have now identified as this is the ideal way. You know, even now it's come to clothing. What kind of shoes you wear for some of our young people. I remember in, must be the 70s, Nike was the thing. And, you know, the kids didn't have Nikes, they, well, they were stressed out. You know, and they were looked at as being different. It's also not our, our way to become a burden to our family and our community, which means when we must help. We must not become a burden. It's not our way to be a complainer, to complain about others or about our way of life. It's also not our way to be abusive to others in any way. And probably one of the first ones I ever heard, that but not our way. It's not our way to waste. When you have salmon, you got a hundred salmon, make sure you cut them all. Don't let any of them waste, son. I didn't use the word sin, but that's the only way I can describe it today, that it was sinful to waste food to waste that being that gave its life so we can live. It's not our way to waste. We, I was told, and I embrace this in my heart today, and I keep talking about it, and I will probably till I'm gone from this plane, is that we're in trouble today because we started to break our own laws and how to be as people of the land. Our way is to be loving human beings, to be committed to others. That's what love means, to be committed. To be committed to others, and then after a while, and they trust you, and they see that you want to be part of their life in a good way, that turns into loving feelings. It's our way to listen to people in a respectful manner. You know, 
I watch people today and I've caught myself. Sometimes there's someone speaking and I'm looking at my phone. <laughs> That's being disrespectful. I want you to know that. In a way, you're telling that person, I don't want to hear the words. Your words mean nothing to me. I tell this to students today. I said, you want to be a successful student, you listen when the instructor's in the room, just like the way I was instructed to listen when the elder's in the room. Our way is to constantly develop our mind, our body, and our spirit. To constantly learn about self-discipline and be self-disciplined. That your mind is saying that I'm going to be self-disciplined and I'm going to do what I say. And I'm going to move my body and exercise or stretching. And it doesn't matter what it is as long as you do it. Because if you don't use it, you lose it. So our way was to always look after our body. I've told people right across the country, sit like an eagle, don't be a slouch. You know, because that's our way to have this backbone and to be solid in our core. Because we're going to have strength and endurance and eventually speed if we do that. To constantly do something for your body. You know, it's one of the things that's hard to accept in, <laughs> in life, I think, for everybody is the aging process. I'm 70 years old today, 70 years old, and I don't know how many months. But I can feel my body start to get old. <laughs> you know, I'll say it. I can feel my knees sometimes. Sometimes in my thumbs I feel some arthritis, and it's probably from using chainsaws and axes and working. So I have to look after that body of mine. So I'll do moving exercises for my legs and strengthen muscles and do things because there's a lot that I want to do yet. There's parts of the world I want to go see. And if I cannot walk good, if I'm going to be suffering all the time, it's not going to be an enjoyable experience. So our ways to constantly you know, make sure you're doing something for your body. And for the spirit... That's, we look after that, so we have this feeling of being grounded, of serenity, of a sense of wonder. Sometimes I'll look at the stars in the night and I have this sense of wonder. I can see and feel this mystery. <laughs> I'm thinking, wow, there's no end beyond those stars. It just goes on and on. Our way is to be helpful to others that need help, to at least make the offer. I'm here to help. I'm here to listen. If you need a hug, I'll give you a hug. If not, I'm just here to support you. That's a good way. And I was taught once you do that, it comes back. It may be a while, it might be a big circle before that goodness you put out comes back, but it welcome back, son. When you're helpful to others, when they're doing an activity, like a naming ceremony or whatever it is, building a house, go and help them. Even if it's through a small donation. And all, another part of our way of life was re to respect all that gives us life. I don't know how many times I've seen this beauty of people offering tobacco when they take salmon or a deer or moose or plants or give a prayer song when they're picking medicine. One of the elders, it was one of my teachers, that's what he would do. He says, Uncle Pete, we're going to take tobacco, we're going to go get the medicine. He says, no, Jerry, I sing for the plants. And I went with him, and I could hear him singing as we're walking, harvesting these plants in the spring. 
he wanted the red willow and other things in the spring because he says that new life is coming in and it's strong. And he was singing. And I could see his appreciation of the medicine. It's like my grandmother, when I'd bring her a salmon, she would literally get tears in her eyes because she had that respect that this salmon is going to give her, extend her life. I remember seeing that, and that sort of puzzled me. And of course, until I matured and I started to understand that I respect things that give me life today. You know, I thank cooks when they feed me. Even in a restaurant, if I see a cook, I say, thank you, that was good. And I thank the waitresses. Because in a way, they're extending my life by nourishing me. You know, so that's our way. And if we can do that 24-7, they say the food's always going to be there, the water. And our way, too, is to be humble. You heard me say what my granny said, don't you dare think you're better than anyone else. Because when we're vain, we think we're better. We put a target on our back and our chest. And other people that think the same way will be after you. They won't be supporting you, but they'll be after you because they want to be better. That humility, and I've seen it in the elders. I'd hear them say, I'm just a suffering human being. And I used to think they're feeling sorry for themselves. And I realized that sometimes today I'm a suffering human being when I worry about relatives or about Mother Earth. When mankind thought it was better than nature, and that they can control it, we started to get in trouble. They lost their humility. I was talking to planners at UBC, community planners, and you know, they're, they'd plan things, how to mine the, the land, how to build a community, all of those things, the school of planning. And I said, there's one teaching I'd like to leave you as planners. When you're planning something, you ask yourself this question. If I do this, is it going to hurt people or hurt the earth? And if the answer is yes, you do not do that. But the answer is no, go ahead. Do your work. You know, in our way, when people see that we have a good mind, that there's no deception, no lying there. They trust us. We will be trusted. You know that good mind, good heart is such a wonderful saying. I think the Coast Salish people say, Aish Kualan. Oh, yeah, good mind, good heart. You know, you know when you see that, it's a joy to be with those people. People that have a good mind. You can laugh with them, you can tell stories, you can tell your hurts, you know, and fix yourself. Another one of our ways is to volunteer. So if we can do this 24-7, even if it's just simple, simple act of holding a door open for someone. Or help move something, volunteer. That's our way. And I think it's probably one of our most powerful ways. And when you volunteered in a traditional way, people remember that, and then they would volunteer back for you when you're doing something. Sometimes that's in the form of money. You volunteer, you give them money if they're doing something, because it costs to feed people to do things. And then they remember, and then when you do it, they're there in a traditional way, in a 24-7 way. I've had this happen. I've helped people 
when they lose relatives and I'd go and I'd donate food or some money. That's a form of volunteering, putting yourself forward, sharing. When I, my dear mother went to the spirit world, I remember people that weren't part of my community. One of the, because uh, people respect me there. One of them went out and said, Dad, Jerry's mom, mom left. I'm doing a collection. He volunteered to do that. And I could remember the melting in my heart when I heard that, and he came and he gave me. He had a list of people and how much they gave. That's a good 24-7, you know, to be part of that. And it brings pride to me in the way of our people and how they live 24-7 at before post-colonial stress disorder. In that way, we all walked with purpose and intention of goodness. All of us, children, teenagers, adults, elders, we all had a purpose. We are the ones that have been here since the beginning. We are the original people. In my language, uchel miuch, the original ones. And yes, we have suffered and experienced being messed up by the colonial system. We know about poverty, no jobs. And we know about broad-based health issues. We know the feeling of being shunned by Canada over and over again. Regardless of all this, I've come to a place to where I say we're okay. You know, because we haven't become terrorists. That we're okay, you know, and I go and I see little children dancing to our music and wearing regalia. We're okay. And we get together and someone will make a joke and we'll all laugh, even though there's some terrible things happening. We're okay. We're okay because there's resilient ones that refuse to let the language die. How to tan a moose hide. How to harvest herbs. We're okay. I know and I accept that we come from a beautiful way. A way that produced healthy people for generations. And remember, a healthy person is someone that's sound in mind, body, and spirit. We come, we are a resilient people. We bend, we don't break as a group. We have nation treasures in our midst, the ones that refused, like I said, to let our language go by the wayside. We have people that do ceremony and do it with every fiber of their mind, body, and spirit. They believe in it, and they do it, and they keep doing it. They carry on with our protocols of elders first, mothers with babies second, then the rest of us can eat. You know? <laughs> and those grandmothers and grandfathers that are 24-7 are treasures too. You know that being indigenous 24-7 and casting off this post-colonial stress disorder means I'm an, I re assume responsibility for personal change. I take that responsibility to change myself. I'm a committed to achieve my goals regardless of the opposition.
I encounter day to day. I'm going to achieve my goals. I'm going to take charge of my mind. I'm going to release negative emotions. I'm going to laugh. I'm going to cry. I'm going to love. And I'm going to share teaching with, with people so that they will, we will have a just society. I'm going to create recreation and fun in my life, not only for me, but my friends and relatives. And when I take, I'm going to make darn sure I give back. I'm not just going to be a taker. I create positive atmospheres, atmospheres, everything around me, by being respectful. In a way that 24-7, you treat everything as sacred. That atmosphere is a wonderful atmosphere. And I'm going to make sure I replace negative energy with positive energy by freeing myself of that negative energy and refuse to let it own me and to carry it. I, 24-7, make a commitment to live in the present and not in the colonial past. I am defeating this post-colonial stress disorder. And you hear the word defeating because I know it still visits me. It's like a bad habit. I've come to realize I have no freedom as long as I'm a blamer. <laughs> you know? <laughs> as long as I'm blaming people for this and for that, there's going to be no change. There's going to be no freedom for Jerry. Yes, I hold people responsible for wrong actions. I tell people there's a reason why we, we've done what we've done when we have post-colonial stress disorder, but it's not an excuse or a validation for people to be negative and to be hurtful to themselves and each other. So my message is in the podcast is let's work at being 24-7 in an indigenous way. Not just being indigenous, but our way. And I've shared with you what they were. Taking charge, being responsible, loving life, cry, laugh, celebrate, you know, get angry. But in a positive way, what they, you know, there's toxic anger, then there's righteous anger. When our Mother Earth is being hurt, be righteously angry. When our children are being hurt, be righteously angry. When our women are being hurt, be righteously angry. When any one of our nations are being hurt, let's be righteously angry. Where we want healing and we want change so we can grow as a people. 24-7. You know, that's the goal for Jerry. And I, I've thought long and hard on this podcast. Sometimes I'd wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning and I'd be thinking about it. Because I believe this is part of the way, this is part of the answer for us to absorb into our system that we're indigenous. And what does it mean to be indigenous? It is 24-7 respect and love. That's what it is for everything that keeps us alive. So I want to thank you for listening to this podcast and remind you to go to Facebook, Twitter, you know, our website. And if anything good comes to you from this, share it with your friends, your relatives. That's why I'm doing this podcast it's my answer to the call of help for people. And that's what I want to do. So I want to thank you if you listen to this podcast. And I want to thank my crew, my 
young men. And my boss, the young lady that's my boss in this project, she provides the funds and things so we can do this. And I want to thank them. Because we're all part of a movement of being 24-7 indigenous, of helping people understand what that is. Because my elders were trying to teach me that for many years and I couldn't get it. And part of it was that I had a barrier of language. And plus I had post-colonial stress disorder in a bad way. You know, I wanted to die, I wanted to kill, I wanted to do those things. And I drank and I drugged and I done stuff. It was not being 24-7 for sure. So I wish you the best with your friends and relatives. And let's start teaching our children what it means to be indigenous way. Not just being indigenous, but the way. The way of life that brings health, joy, happiness, accomplishment, support, all of those good things. So I'm going to sign off now and um, look forward to making more podcasts. And uh, when we look back behind us, if we live 24-7, we're going to see beauty. And we look around us, we're going to see beauty because we're going to create it. I fill my house with art, my wife and I, because we want beauty. I told her, let's make our house like paradise. And it doesn't matter if it's negative 42 in Manitoba, inside it's paradise. And our people lived like that. And I think would, all our implements had art and symbols in there of our clans. Our instruments had carvings on them. You know, that's 24-7. Good way of life. So I'll check out now. Have a good day.